Welcome, everyone, to our latest NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. We've got a great edition of our show. We're going to talk about student-athlete nutrition and wellness. We're going to hear from a dietitian at a university and a student-athlete that's literally written the book on student-athlete and athlete overall nutrition. And now joining me, Auburn Wisensale. She is the Assistant Athletic Director for Performance Nutrition at Pitt. Uh, Auburn, let's talk about nutrition uh, for high-level student-athletes, or really any student-athlete, uh, regardless of division uh, or size of school. What are some basic aspects of maintaining health, strong body, strong mind, in terms of your diet that you make sure that you drill into your student-athletes? Yeah, so we talk about performance plates a lot, so building a balanced plate. That's probably one of the main education tools that we use. So making sure that there's always a carb, a protein, and a color, so a fruit or a vegetable on their plate um, is something that we preach all the time. And then the amounts of the carbs or the protein or the vegetables just vary based on how hard they're training. So someone who's doing two training sessions in a day or getting ready for a game day might have half their plate carbs or grains, um, where somebody who's on a rest day might have half their plate vegetables. So that's one of the main things that we talk about. And then we also push hydration a lot. So whether it's pushing water, Gatorade, Propel, uh, Pedialyte, all types of different hydration um, products out there, but then teaching them how often they need to be drinking. So we recommend that they're sipping on something throughout the day. Uh, when they go out to class or study hall. And then when they're at practice or training with us, um, we're pushing hydration before, during, and after um, to make sure that they're replenishing everything that they lost in training. So the meals and the hydration are the two biggest things that um, we push on them from the like education side. And then we also teach them a lot about grocery shopping and cooking demos so that when they're no longer um, with us that day, they can go purchase their own food and then they can figure out how to cook it. So that's the other aspect of like the application side where we're really trying to teach them, but then when we're not there, how can they still function in life without us next to them? All right. So you are, I got to make sure I say this correctly. You are a registered and licensed dietitian. Yep. Uh, also a member of the NCAA CSMAS. Um, so that committee on competitive safeguards and medical aspects of sports, we always have to get our acronyms in there. Yeah. Uh, what are the goals of that committee? Yeah, the goals are really the health and safety of the student athlete and making sure that we're taking care of their needs from the hydration, the nutrition side of things. But then also the supplement safety side is a really big one right now with educating them on um, what are the safer supplements to take. There really is no such thing as a 100% safe supplement, but um, that's probably one of the hottest topics of how can we educate our student athletes to make sure that they're, if they're going to choose to take a supplement, that it's safer. And then um, from the like nutrition medical side of if it's something that we're prescribing because maybe they're deficient, um, how can we make sure that they're getting the best possible um, vitamin or mineral to help with that? And what have you found in terms of the cooperative nature of this among the membership? 
Uh, I think the membership is they're they're great. Um, and being on CSMAS, everybody in that room um, is really good at bringing in their side of like what their expertise is, um, and then being able to just come together and uh, us who are working in the membership, seeing like our boots on the ground and what what's going on, and then everybody collaborating to make the student athletes experience better. All right, so you have worked, if I have this right, uh, at Florida, Indiana, Virginia, uh, with the Magic and the NBA, uh, UCF, and Run Disney, which I'll get to in a second. Mm -hmm. um, so all Division One NBA franchise, for those schools in maybe D2, D3, that don't have access to a staff dietitian, what advice would you have for those athletic departments uh, that have to sort of forage this you know, uh, you know, uh, health aspect on their own. Yeah, I would recommend that if they're going to bring in a speaker or try to get some nutrition information to their student athletes that they utilize a registered dietitian. So whether that speaker is someone who's credentialed or whether they're pooling materials from maybe uh, CPSDA or um, the NCAA that is written by a registered dietitian so that we're sure that they're getting access to accurate information. All right, speaking of student athletes, uh, what kind of feedback have you had in terms of uh, the nutrition that they're getting or that they lack? Um, it's, it's varied. So it really depends on how the student athlete grew up and what they have access to as to what their nutrition knowledge is. Um, and then depending on what institution they're at, what the resources are, where some schools are staffed with six full-time dietitians and then others maybe none or one. Um, so that dietitian might have to cover a lot of ground to get that education, but um, it's really across the board with what levels our student athletes are coming in at, but that's where we always hit the education piece first and then build upon that. All right, so I mentioned Run Disney. Uh, I am a runner. Uh, I am constantly struggling, and then I'm going to apply this to student athletes, of two things. Well, three things, actually. One, uh, what to eat before race, half marathon or full, and how early. Two, um, how much to hydrate during a race, because I've cramped before, and the night before. And the reason I bring this up, not just selfishly, but also I'm always amazed when I go to like a shoot around uh, or an early practice and I see the amount of food some of these players eat mm -hmm. just hours before the game. Mm -hmm. um, and I know they're a lot younger than I am, but still, how do you gauge like how much you should eat before a performance uh, and when? Yeah, some of that can be really individualized, but our general recommendation is about two to four hours out they should have their like pregame meal or their pre-race meal. And so that the two to four is where it really gets individualized, where some athletes could eat a large amount of food four hours out. Um, but if they ate that same amount two hours out, they might not have a good experience where there's others who could eat a large amount of food two hours out and be totally fine. Um, so that's where we just learn our athletes and learn what works for them and then tailor our recommendations even further from there. But the types of foods that you want to be eating uh, pre-race or pre-game are mainly carbohydrates. And then the farther out from the game or competition you are, 
you want to include some protein and some fats, but then the closer you get to the competition, you want to pull back on proteins and fats because they take a long time to digest and that can cause stomach upset. So the carbs are really our main energy source. So that's why we mainly want carbs. And then the closer you get to competition, mainly or just carbs. All right. So as sports get into practice in the month of August, games in September, it's going to be hot. Um, how does nutrition and diet play a role in preventing cramping? Yeah. So there's uh, a couple of components that could be involved with cramping. So it could be fluid or electrolyte related, but it could also be calorie or carbohydrate related. So when an athlete is cramping, we try to figure out which one of those is causing the cramp. And sometimes it's just a matter of like process of elimination or adding certain things to see if that helped or didn't help. But um, adding sodium or salt to your meals um, and then taking in things like your Gatorade, your Propel, your electrolyte beverages will help with the sodium side. And then making sure you're drinking at least half your body weight in ounces each day as a minimum. And then really um, the more you're training and the more you're sweating, the more you need to be drinking on top of that. And then making sure you're getting in your balanced meals and snacks it's a long practice where maybe you're doing something for two to three hours, eating something during practice, like an applesauce or drinking some Gatorade will help um, get the carbohydrates in and the calories so that we're kind of hitting all those things that could cause cramping to keep them off. All right. What do you love about your job? Uh, the student athletes, 100% is what I love. Uh, just those light bulb moments when maybe you've been working with a student athlete and they didn't really get it right away, but um, then eventually they're, you know, they they do one or two of your recommendations and they're like, oh my gosh, I felt so much better at practice. Um, it really made a difference. Those are the moments that um, are probably the most rewarding. And you weren't a student athlete that long ago, playing yeah. uh, field hockey, James Madison, graduating in 2013. Auburn, appreciate all the work that you're doing, not just at Pitt, but obviously with the NCAA. Appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. And now joining me, Emily Cole. She is an incoming senior at Duke in cross country and the steeplechase in track and field. And Emily, we're going to talk about nutrition. Um, and you as a student athlete have done a wonderful job of laying out not just sort of how you handle it, but maybe a roadmap, uh, not just because you are a road runner, but a roadmap uh, for how others, other student athletes, maybe just, you know, athletes in general, people that are, are active, how they should handle it. So you wrote this book called The Player's Plate, which by the way, is incredibly impressive, regardless <laughs> that you've had time to do Thank this you. at Duke, no less. Um, so what was your objective in penning this book? First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show, Andy. It's so nice to meet all of you and to be on here. I, I really wrote the book because my senior year of high school, I went through high school really focusing on academics in my family. And 
I was at a big 6A high school in Texas, and I actually did volleyball and basketball mainly. And so I wasn't really thinking that I was going to end up running D1. And then when I learned how to properly feel my body and I started focusing on running my senior year, everything changed. And I really was able to run these times where I was able to compete at a D1 level. And so that was what really got me hooked on being so passionate about it. And then long story short, I actually ended up finally qualifying for the state meet in cross country. And then um, for months, I had been feeling kind of off. The night before the state meet, I went into a coma, a two-day coma, because I was too low in sodium and I had been drinking too much water. And so it was like all of a sudden, it was this opposite end of the spectrum where I realized it's not all about just eating healthy. You know, when athletes want to compete at such a high level, it's easy to think we need to be perfect in every aspect of our lives, whether that's drinking more water, eating cleaner, things like that. And this was really just, it all kind of exploded in my face being like, it's not that simple. And it's not just about, you know, what society tells you is eating healthier. And so I was like, wow, I just wish there had been a guide to sports nutrition that would have taught me all these lessons earlier on. So I didn't have to learn them the hard way. And, and, um, that night before the state meet, I honestly just went to bed and my, everyone had just thought that I was sick for the weekend. And so, um, whenever my coach came in to check on me and he like shook my shoulder, it looked like I had a seizure. And so that's whenever I went to the hospital and that was just, it was such a scary experience for us that I realized it was something that could really impact a lot of other athletes. So I made that the introduction to the book. And then throughout the book, I have different sports nutrition concepts taught through the lens of the stories from different elite athletes. So I interviewed April Ross, obviously Olympic gold medalist in 2020 Olympics, and then Jesse Thomas, two-time Ironman champion and other incredible athletes. And each of them have their own chapter with one core sports nutrition concept, and then a recipe at the end of each chapter teaching you how to put that lesson into practice. So, wow, there's a lot there. I mean, first off, we're told all the time, drink water, drink water, exactly. drink water. Uh, and here's an example where you drink too much water. Uh, maybe not, and I don't know the case, but maybe not the only reason of, of you going into that medical uh, situation, but um, what, what lesson was learned about moderation, even with water? Definitely. I think that the lesson of moderation is kind of um, synonymous with balance and balance is a really a, a huge core concept of the book. That's why the title is the player's plate, because there's the saying not putting too much on your plate. And I think as athletes, there have been a lot of recent mental health movements that have come out about, you know, not letting ourselves get overwhelmed and saying no to things and prioritizing our mental health. And so the player's plate is kind of a metaphor for not only balancing what's on your plate, because I teach about having carbs and fats and protein and building a balanced meal at three times a day, but also balancing what's on your metaphorical plate in life as well, because there are so many psychological and mental aspects of fueling as an athlete that come into play as well that can't be aren't taught in modern day sports nutrition books and that's why I have these stories from athletes who have experienced it themselves so you can really learn from people who have been through it different ways you can avoid building an, a harmful relationship with food and honing in that balance where you find what works best for you since it's so different for everyone 
I love that you brought up mental health because um, the diet, the nutrition, it's a holistic approach. Um, it's not just how am I going to fuel for this race, for this game, for this match. Uh, and what you eat can have an effect on your mind, on your anxiety, on your depression, whatever you're going through, on if you are taking medication. Um, so how did you deal with that aspect of, you know, the mental health aspect of being healthy nutritionally and from a diet perspective? That's a great question. And I actually have, the book is broken into two sections. So the first section is more educational as far as, you know, the different kinds of supplements there are and the ways you can build a balanced meal and hydration. So my issue is not having enough sodium in my hydration, in my water. And then the second aspect of it is balance, that concept of kind of the more mental health side of it. And so I have a chapter that's on the importance of eating with others. It's incredible the science behind the benefit of just feeling known and loved by the people around you and sharing your meals with other people and how that can actually be performance enhancing in itself. I have a chapter on body image. That's the one I um, interviewed April Ross for because obviously they're out there competing in bikinis and um, that particular sport, there are particular sports where there have been studies showing that even just the uniform affects how these athletes perform because they're altering how they're feeling and it's being detrimental to their overall performance. And then I have another chapter where I interviewed Jesse Thomas and he is someone who struggled with eating disorders in college as a collegiate track athlete. And that is kind of a chapter to talk about the hard topic. Not people don't want to talk about eating disorders because it's hard and it's personal. And I think coming from a guy as well, it shows that it doesn't just affect female athletes, which is the overall prevalent idea. And then also whenever he told his story, he has gone on to create Picky Bars, an incredible Whole Foods company and be a two-time Ironman champion. So he has found this concept of aim for a B plus, and that's his new motto where he doesn't aim for having a perfect diet all the time. And so that chapter is called aim for a B plus. And I just think it's a great motto for everyone trying to find their optimal fuel, because you've got to let yourself have the ice cream and have the burger and enjoy the things that remind you of your upbringing as well. And that will help you perform better. It's not just about letting yourself indulge. It's actually all about performing better too. You know, and stop me if I, you know, direct something that uh, is out of your realm. And I, I don't want to put you in that position, but I, I think of a sport like wrestling. And yeah. we're seeing more actually uh, female wrestlers. We're seeing more female wrestling programs. And this whole concept of making weight and yeah, weight becoming exactly. the focus of, you know, you've got to drop weight, you've got to become a certain weight. Uh, and, you know, I would worry that that could be detrimental as well. Uh, you know, whether it's a male athlete, a male wrestler, or a female wrestler, in any sport where that becomes a focal point of getting to a specific number on that scale. Exactly. And I think that's the main thing that can really be mentally detrimental to these athletes, because there's so much more encompassed in one's health, obviously, than just that number. And I think that there are those sports, though, where you're going to have to meet those numbers. And so 
you have to understand how to balance your own mental health in the process and have those role models. I have a part in there where it talks about finding a role model that works for you that has been through it before and figuring out how you can do what you need to do to be able to perform at your best in your sport while protecting that relationship with food. So you obviously have done an unbelievable job researching, interviewing. You've had your own life experience, uh, traumatic. Uh, you've come through it, but there also had to be mentors or professionals, dietitians at Duke, somewhere else. Where did you look for that kind of guidance? That's another great question. I actually interviewed a bunch of registered dietitians throughout the book, and I have a whole chapter about the importance of the title of registered dietitian because the title of nutritionist isn't as nearly as legally protected as registered dietitian. And so I got to speak, I reached out to a couple on my own and then also obviously had incredible resources at Duke that I was able to speak with. And I think that being able to talk to them, but also I have to give huge kudos to the female athletes that are older than me in sport right now that have spoken out about this because they're the ones who kind of broke the ice and made it less taboo to talk about these topics. I think one in particular uh, is Shalane Flanagan. She wrote her cookbooks with Elise Kopecky. And I actually am lucky enough. I'm, I'm reaching out right now. I'm doing all the promotion of my book and reaching out for early praise for like the quotes on the cover. And Elise Kopecky actually agreed to reading my book and give me a little quote for the back, which was just a really full circle moment because I actually interviewed her. I, I talked about their books in one of my chapters about the importance of cooking and getting into nutrition. And so their cookbooks, which are run fast, cook fast, eat slow, that whole trio, they really talk about the importance of getting in the kitchen and eating with whole foods and cooking rather than focusing on the numbers and tracking your calories and tracking your macros, which a lot of people can get wrapped up into because running is such a sport where people can get wrapped up thinking that lighter equals faster. That is a way to reconnect with your hunger cues and have nutrients that are fueling you without having to worry about the numbers for calories and macros. One of the quotes that I loved from the book was um, Shalane saying, she was like, I, I'd like to keep the numbers on my watch on the track and not in the kitchen. So I think having role models like that really, really paved the way for me to fall in love with it and feel like it was something that I could help create more of a platform about. A couple more things, Emily. I really appreciate your time here. You mentioned body image, um, you know, sports like beach volleyball. Yeah. Uh, we've seen actually different uniforms in indoor volleyball, but also, as you say, with track and field, I mean, you're sort of just, uh, your, your body image is out there. Yeah. And, you know, how have you and maybe your peers, your teammates dealt with that issue of the definition of being strong uh, you know, can take on different definitions depending upon the sport uh, and, you know, being accepting of who you are, what you're going to be and how strong you need to be to perform at your highest level, regardless of how that makes you look. That, I mean, it, I think that's the main big movement that's happening right now within the running world, especially, but also female athletics. And like I kind of touched on before, just having those older role models that are achieving the American records and winning USAs, 
coming out and saying things about how, you know, they don't look super skinny. They are fueling their bodies and they look strong and they are winning these championships because they aren't trying to restrict their bodies. I think one of the main people that comes to mind is Elise Cranny. She's been very outspoken on REDS, which is relative energy deficiency syndrome. And it's kind of a more encompassing term for underfueling that includes men as well and not just female athletes. And she had a story come out recently where this season she was feeling underfueled and not able to recover as well during her training. And she realized that she had reds and she cut back her training. And that's something that's super hard to do, especially right before these big championship races like she had coming up. And she ended up winning the 5K at USA's. And so it's a really cool story about this new concept that athletes don't have to push through all the pain and push through feeling super tired. In fact, it's important that we take care of ourselves and we listen to our bodies and realize when we're pushing too hard so that we can achieve the things and the big goals that we have for ourselves. So I don't want to gloss over your, uh, you know, the battle that you personally had. Uh, if you can just take us, you're in a, a coma is what you said yeah. for two days before a meet senior high school. How, how do you, how do you get from that point to competing at Duke now in your final year? You know, I took that moment as a real learning point. I kind of said earlier how it really helped me redefine healthy in my mind and I am in particular a very salty sweater. I know some people get little salt lines whenever they go out and work out a lot. And so that's why I was more prone to having that condition because it's when you get dangerously low in sodium, I was just drinking a bunch of water, but not replenishing it with electrolytes as well. And so I definitely got more into that my senior year. Um, and that's why I was able to, you know, still be able to run at Duke and whatnot, but even my first couple years of Duke, I still wasn't able to run in the way that I knew I was capable of and the way that I felt whenever I first fell in love with running that summer before my senior year. And I could not figure out what was wrong, but I was like, it was just confusing because I was writing this book on sport nutrition and I'm super passionate about sleep as well. So I get nine to 10 hours of sleep every night and I wasn't able to perform in the way that I wanted to. And after this cross country season, I remember my regional race, I ended up coming back to campus and being like, okay, we need to get some tests done because something is not right. And I ended up being diagnosed with celiac disease and celiac disease is a condition where whenever you eat gluten, it destroys the villa on the inner lining of your stomach. So you can't absorb nutrients as well. It's also super inflammatory. It makes you more prone to get sick and whatnot. So figuring that out was so ironic because coming into college, I was like, okay, I need to eat, eat more carbs to fuel my more intense training. And then right before races, I'd have a big bowl of pasta. And then that next morning when I was racing, my body was so upset with me because I had celiac. And so thankfully I was able to get that diagnosis during cross country season, which is why I was able to see so much success and have a great track season this year. I, I actually have a little story that I'll tell really quick, but my senior year of high school, I knew the steeplechase would be the event that I fell in love with and would really play to my advantage since I had done volleyball and basketball. And um, I found the Olympic trials qualifying time, which was a 948. And I was like, okay, 
this is a long shot, but I'd love to qualify for the Olympic trials one day. That'd be amazing. And so I made all my passwords to everything 0948. And so for three years now, you know, I've been typing in, yes, obviously I'm going to have to change that because <laughs> I also talk about this story in my conclusion. So everyone's going to know my old passwords now. I'll have to change it. But, you know, for the past three years, I've been typing that in. And then this track season, when I really thought, okay, I finally found this last piece, hopefully to my nutrition, my personal nutrition story. And I didn't want to get my hopes up too much, but I knew that that should really make a difference. And I lined up for our ACC championships, which we were supposed to have on our home track my freshman year. And it got canceled because of COVID, obviously. And then we didn't get to have it last year. So we finally get to have it my junior year. I'm lining up for the steeplechase and everything just feels like it's coming together at this moment. Like it's just, everything is in the right place. And I was just so at peace during that race. And my previous best time was a 10.15. So that day I lined up and raced under the lights and I ended up running a 9.48, which is just, thank you. <laughs> it was just so, for lack of a better word, poetic because it had been my exact password for the past four years. And it was nearly a 30 second PR, which just doesn't happen in track. And it also ended up qualifying me for the equivalent of the Olympic trials this year, which is the USA championships. And so that moment for me, it was just so cool because I was able to write in this conclusion, look, even me who is so passionate about sports nutrition and is writing this book, I'm finishing it, I'm turning it in. And I just had this huge epiphany in my own nutritional journey. So this is going to be something where you have to continue learning and keep an open mind for your entire life, but I promise it's worth it and it will pay off if you're willing to figure out what works best for you and not try and focus on other people's journeys in the meantime. Well, Emily, let's leave it there. But before <laughs> I let you go, where can people get the book and follow you? So the book will be publishing in September and you can order it on Amazon and you can follow me on all platforms. I am Emily Cole with two E's at the beginning and two E's at the end. E-E-M-I-L-Y-C-O-L-E-E. -E -E. Emily Cole, remarkable. <laughs> Appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck this upcoming season at Duke. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. Have a great one. All right. Again, I appreciate the time that Auburn and Emily spent with us here on the social series. Great information. Really look forward to watching what Emily can accomplish here in the year and years ahead. As always, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series, where all our social series are archived. Thanks for watching, everyone. Thank you.